Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time worshiping with us today, we wanna give you a very special welcome. If you'll provide your name and an email address, this coming week we'll send you a gift card and the coffee is on us. This is week six of our sermon series about David. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the message, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Stella with our announcements. Welcome to Schweitzer. My name is Stella and we're so glad to have you here today. This month we have several amazing things coming up for families. And speaking of, this Wednesday, July 5th, is R&R Night, where the parents get to have a fun night out and the kids get to have a blast here on campus. If you're looking to sign your kids up, you can do so online or at the Blue Booth. And while the kids are having R&R Night, the student ministries will be hanging out right here in the Student Center. A couple more things coming up for kids include our paint, pizza, and popsicle nights, which will be hosted in the gym on July 21st. Then Friday, July 28th, we'll be hosting our first outdoor movie night. And spoiler alert, we'll be showing the new Super Mario Bros. movie. And as always, you can learn more about our Schweitzer Kids events and sign up at schweitzer.church kids. This Thursday is our next second season lunch. And to tell you more about it, here's some old guy named Ed. Hi, Ed Gakey here. I'm thrilled I get a chance to share my story about donating a kidney earlier this year. I'm with a whole team of people that have been affected by this type of life-giving donation. So I hope you'll come. It's Thursday, July the 6th, about 1130 in the morning. Sign up now at schweitzer.church slash second season. It's gonna be great, hope to see you there. Thanks Ed, you're pretty cool for an old guy. One more thing I wanna tell you guys about is our night of worship coming up on July 16th. This night will include praise and prayer led by our modern worship team starting at 6 p.m. We hope to see you there. We know that there's always a lot going on here at Schweitzer, so you can look for upcoming events at schweitzer.church or download the Church Center app. Either way, we are so glad you guys are here. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stella, for those great announcements. I want to remind you that if you're interested in joining us for any or all of these great events, you can find more information online at schweitzer.church next. If you're joining us live today, we want you to join in the chat. If you'll say hello to your friends and give us your insights, that would be great. And we want to remind you that if you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in our prayer room. If you'll just press that prayer button, we'll be right with you. And now, let's continue in worship. Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal. Stolen your breath and sang my own song, and Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. 
the shackles I wear, I bought on my own. The scarlet sins had a crimson cause, you nailed my debt to that old rugged cross, and empty slave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. Lord, I confess I've been the prodigal made for your house, but walked my own. Then she.
the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father together. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you shower upon us. And during this season, we thank you for our freedoms. We thank you for the freedom to worship and the freedom to choose whether or not we worship. Holy God, you have blessed us with so many wonderful opportunities. But God, we fail to say thank you. So right now, we want to thank you for the blessings of each day, the blessings in our lives that are present that we fail to notice on a regular basis. Holy God, we pray today for those who are in need, those who are facing difficult illness and, and choices that are so hard to make, those that are dealing with difficult times that are overwhelming to them. Lord, we pray for your peace and your comfort and your, your healing presence in our lives. God, we thank you for your unfailing love and we trust that you are there for us. God, as we continue to pray together, we want to pray the prayer that your son gave to us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, I want to share with you about a couple of great events that have happened just recently here at Schweitzer Church. A couple of weeks ago, our kids ministry hosted an event called Nerf and Nachos. The food was great and the Nerf games were chaos. It was a wonderful night of fellowship and we all had a blast. Another event that happened recently was a group that went camping for a couple of days. They enjoyed great food, great fellowship, a float trip, camping out under the stars, and a wonderful time of praising God for His beauty and nature. These events happen because of your generosity, and I want to thank you for supporting these events and many more things that take place here at Schweitzer. I want you to know that you can give online at schweitzer.church give, and we thank you for supporting these ministries. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week six of our sermon series about David.
friends, welcome today. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Spencer. Today is part six of our series on one of the most important and influential people in the whole Bible. That's King David. We are going deep into David's story all summer long, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend, learning from him because there's so much to learn from his story. Now, we are at a point in David's life where um, things are more down than up. Uh, we are seeing him experiencing all kinds of opposition. He's on the run, trying to just survive. Um, things are not going well. And, and as I think about the, the season of life that David is in, where he, at 13, 14 years old, received this promise to, that he would become the, the king of Israel, and then for almost maybe two decades, waits for that to happen while experiencing really extreme opposition. <clears throat> I can't help but think of this, this dark time of David's life and not think, you know what, this is sometimes just what the faithful life is like. Sometimes we go through seasons in life where there's opposition, where there's more downs than ups, where things don't fall into place, where, the, where you have the promise of God on one hand and then you have reality on the other, which is what David's in. And this dynamic that we see in David's life is, is one of those things that every follower of Jesus is going to have to somehow have an answer for. This dynamic of the promise of God over here and yet the circumstances that don't line up with that, there's a gap. And so what do you do with this gap is a crucial question for any follower of Jesus. What do you do when you have the promise of God and yet the circumstances of your life don't line up to that? That is a crucial, crucial question for any follower of Jesus. And that's what we're gonna to explore today as we move into David's story. Pick it up right where we left off last week. David is on the run um, for his life. He had to go out of Israel into another kingdom to live among the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, because Saul, the king of Israel, was right on his tail trying to, to get him. And he had to go into this other country, pretend to be insane in order to deflect um, any sort of threat against him. And so we come to 1 Samuel 22, gonna pick up right where we left off and just full disclosure. Today, this is a story that is really heartbreaking. It's a story of brokenness and um, it's just really sad. And so, but we also see with this really pretty terrible story, the gap between the promise and reality just gets even bigger. So here's how it goes. 1 Samuel 22, verse six. So Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. Now, remember, Saul's on the run, or David's on the run. Saul's right behind him. And, and David, what he had done is he had gone to um, a priest. Ahimelech was his name. And the priest had given him bread and a sword. It was Goliath's sword, actually. And, and uh, what we read last week was that there was a shepherd nearby who saw David get assistance from this priest. And he went back and reported this to Saul. And this is what we read next. It says, Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah. And all his officials standing on his side. He's like, he's ready to go, ready for battle, ready for David. He said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. I mean, you can just hear the insecurity in Saul's voice, can't you? I mean, he's, he's, he thinks everyone around him has betrayed him. He, he thinks that, that there's no loyalty whatsoever, even though the truth is that no one has betrayed him. Even David has been loyal to King Saul. Verse 9. But Doeg the Edomite, this is the shepherd who saw David get assistance, who was standing with Saul's official, said, I saw the son of Jesse. Come to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab and Nob. And Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent 
for the priest of Ahem, uh, the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub, tell, yes, my Lord, he answered. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Verse 14, Ahimelech answered the king, what are you talking about? I have no clue what's going on here. I mean, Saul is so obsessed with loyalty at this point. He's turning on the people who used to be close to him. And so the priest answers, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law? He tells him the truth. He's the captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priest of the Lord. That's good for them. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priest. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That's those who served the Lord. He also put to death the sword, or also put to sword Nob, the town of the priest, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abithar, escaped and fled to join David. And he told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And then David said to Abithar, that day when Doeg was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. So stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. What a sad heartbreaking story. I mean, it's just a story of brokenness and the destruction that we see here. We also see an incredible lesson in leadership. I mean, Saul is demanding loyalty, even though he, he has it. I mean, and, and so much loyalty. He wants so much loyalty that if you cross him, or even if he thinks you've crossed him, um, he's, he's coming after you. And he's willing to cut anyone down just to protect himself. Like, this is not a leader worth following. Whereas David, he owns responsibility. It's not his fault, but he, he knows his actions impact others. And so he takes responsibility. This is good leadership. Good leaders take the blame and deflect credit, which is the exact opposite of what Saul is doing. Saul is deflecting blame and taking all the credit. This is terrible leadership. So certainly the big question for David has to be, what about God's promises? How is this happening? Because this gap, the promise and reality, it's getting wider. And it's not just that the gap is affecting him at this point. Now it's affecting other people. Other people are suffering too. So how do I make sense of this gap? What do I, what do I do when there's a gap between the promise of God and the circumstances of my life? Like, what do I do when the promises of God are there for, for healing and wholeness, right? And yet someone I love is sick and they just keep getting worse, even though I keep praying for them. That's the gap. What, what do I do when the promise of God is, 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 is for uh, relationships that are whole and well, and yet reality is that, that my marriage keeps struggling or I can't get along with people around me and we just have more and more, more trouble? Or what do, I, what do I do when the promise of God is for a life that is abundant and yet 
someone I love, maybe even a follower of Jesus, is, is stuck in an addiction. Like there's this gap. What, what, do I, what do I do? How do I make sense between the promise of God and the circumstances of my life? Like what, what do I do? Well, what did David do? How did he make sense of this? And thankfully, we actually know because in David's story in the Bible, not only do we have the life events of First and Second Samuel, we also have his own writing, his prayer journal, the, the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible where he wrote prayers and poems and songs about the various things that he went through. And there is a song that David wrote specifically about this slaughter. So let's go read it. It's Psalm 52. And as we read it, we're going to start at the very beginning of the Psalm, even before verse 1. There's a description. Here's what it reads. So Psalm 52 for the director of music, a masculine of David, a masculine is some sort of musical note term. No one really knows what it means. And here's why he wrote it. When Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Verse one, why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, "How here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. You can just hear the hurt that David is experiencing from the slaughter of these innocent people. And his tone switches here. And here's what he says next. But I, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Now you can hear the gap in what David just wrote there. I mean, there's really clear, there's evil out there. Like this is the circumstances that he's facing, right? but I'm an olive tree. I'm flourishing in the house of God. There's this gap here between what is true and then, and then what is happening, the circumstances around him. Now, there is a, a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is used throughout the Old Testament that is really helpful for navigating these, these gaps that we find in our life. So remember, the, Hebrew, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, not in English. And in, in Hebrew, there's this word that's just used throughout. It's fascinating, and it's just really, really helpful. In fact, David uses this Hebrew word in the psalm that we just read um, as he's trying to make sense of the gap. Now, the Hebrew word that we're talking about is the Hebrew word kavah. Let me give you a few examples of this. Um, psalm 27, verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, verse 14, wait, there's the word, kavah, for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait, kavah, for the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait, kavah, patiently for him. One more example, Proverbs 22, verse 22, do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait, kavah, for the Lord, and he will avenge you. So oftentimes, as you read through the Old Testament, you come across this word kavah. It's translated as the word wait. 
And, and of course, there are, there are many, many times in the, in the Psalms and the prophets where we are read or told um, that we are to wait for the Lord, to be still for the Lord, to, to rest in Him, to wait on this. And of course, waiting is what you do when you are living in the gap. I mean, clearly you're, you're waiting and there's no question about it. This is a very biblical thing to do. For example, Abraham, the promise of God was given to him that he would be the father of nations. He waits 25 years before he and Sarah conceive. 25 years of kavah, wait. Um, I think about Joseph. He was 17 years old and he had this dream that he would um, lead his family and uh, protect the, them, which would become the people of Israel. And uh, he waits for, for 20 years before he becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And in the midst of that waiting, he is um, uh, wrongly imprisoned. He's sold into slavery. He has all kinds of opposition. But he has 20 years of kavah, of waiting. Or um, I think about the Israelites. They're rescued from slavery in Egypt. The promise of God is that they're going to go into the promised land, the land that's promised to Abraham. And they wait, they kavah, for 40 years. Or I think about David. David was 13, 14, 15 years old, not quite sure, but he was a young, early teen when he was given the the promise by the prophet Samuel that he would be the next king of Israel. And for almost 20 years, he kavah, he waits for the promise to be fulfilled. This is a very biblical thing to do. Waiting is part of the faithful life. And the reason for that is because God's timing is God's timing. (laughs) It's not our timing. There's all kinds of all kinds of mystery to that. There's an old adage, it's not in the Bible, you may have heard it before, that people say, you know, God is never early, but he's always on time. God's timing is God's timing. One of my favorite kinds of books to read um, are memoirs. And I especially like to read Christian memoirs because I, I think that oftentimes as you read a Christian reflecting on their own life, you hear um, they're giving evidence and testimony to the faithfulness of God to times in their life where maybe they didn't know that God was being faithful at that time. But it takes sometimes years or decades before you can see God and how he was moving in that one instance and then what it looks like into the future. Like this is how the faithfulness of God, the timing of God sometimes work is that you have to wait and wait and wait about this. I read an incredible memoir uh, lately by Beth Moore the Bible teaching and, and what she writes in this, in her memoir, I found so fascinating and so helpful. She says that sometimes having faith is simply, um, having faith long enough, just holding on long enough that you can see Jesus in hindsight. Like there's, there's just has to be this, this moment of maybe you don't know what's going on in the moment. There's a gap between the promise of God and the reality, the circumstances you're facing. And yet sometimes you just got to hold on long enough that you're going to see that the Lord was moving and the Lord used that time. There's something about it because God's time is not, is not our timing. And so in the Bible, God's faithfulness is never measured in days or weeks or months. It's always measured in years or decades or sometimes even generations. God's timing is, is, is God's timing. So a very biblical thing to do when you have the gap is to wait. Kavah. But the interesting thing about the word kavah is that it's not always translated as the word wait. Let me give you a couple other examples of this word in action, how it's translated differently. This is Isaiah 40, verse 31, very famous passage. Probably you've heard it before. It says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now in the Hebrew, original Hebrew of this passage, kavah is there. Can you guess where? It's the word hope. Those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. Let me give you one more example. Psalm 52, verse 9. This is what we read earlier today. The Psalm of David, the Psalm that he wrote um, when when the the slaughter had happened to, to Hamelech and all the other priests, 
Um, this is the last line of the psalm. This is what he writes. He says, For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope, kavah, in your name, for your name is good. In biblical Hebrew, to wait and to hope are the same thing. It's the same word. Because, because in, in, in the faithful life, waiting on God, waiting on God's timing, and, and understanding that God's timing is not, is not our time, understanding that God's faithfulness is sometimes measured in years and decades or generations, not in weeks or months um, or, or, or days, what, what we have to understand there is that while we wait, we hope, and while we hope, we wait. These, these two things go together because to wait on God's timing, to wait on what is unseen, we, we, we wait in faith that God is going to do what God has said he's going to do. Now stay with me because this word kavah gets even more interesting, I, I think, because kavah is built off of a root word that on the surface has nothing to do with hope or waiting. The root word of kavah, where this came from in the original Hebrew, is it's related to the word for rope which is so fascinating to me. Like the people who study this kind of thing and scratch their heads and they're like, why in the world would, would um, a word start off as the word rope and then come to mean waiting or hope? And, and some of the um, ideas out there is maybe somewhere along the line, as people were developing language, people began to notice that as a rope holds tension, so often as we wait or we hope in the Lord that we live within a certain kind of tension, that there is a, a tension in this gap that we have here. And so if you ever find yourself in the gap that we're talking about, every single one of us will have times, seasons, years, sometimes decades where we live like that. You know that there's a certain tension that comes with that. Because to wait on God is to live within this tension, tension between what is and what will be. What my life looks like now and what God will do, there's a certain tension to that. To David, it's the, it's the tension of well, on one hand is being on the run, trying to just survive, being in danger, seeing people he cares about, people who have helped him also be harmed. And on the other hand, it's this promise of a kingdom ruled by a king who is a man after God's own heart, who will rule with justice and righteousness, who will rule in the way that honors God and lives for him. And there's a certain tension with that. There's a tension to that. And how you handle that tension that makes all the difference. And it's the difference between living in faith and living in fear. It's living in faith or living in fear. Because what this word kavah teaches us is that we should not expect the choice of faith to be easy. We, we should not expect the faithful life to be easy. It is full of tension. To live by faith is to live within this tension. It is far easier to live in fear to let our circumstances surround us and control us than it is to live by faith. Because when you live by fear, you give up on the tension. You just let your circumstances overwhelm you. And by the way, one of the ways that you know that you're living by fear is when your circumstances have all of your attention. That's how you, that's how you know you're doing this. So maybe you have a gap in your life. Probably you do. Most of us do. We have a gap between the promise of God and the circumstances of whatever we're facing. And it is much, much easier to face our circumstances and to give up and just, just give in and to live in fear. But instead, be encouraged today to wait, to hang on, to have hope, to trust, because to wait on the Lord is to, to hope that his promises are true and right 
and they will not disappoint. Paul writes about this tension in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Because one of the things that uh, can happen in this tension is you can lose heart. Things are going to be hard. You can be discouraged. So therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, right? That's my circumstances. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen. We don't focus on the circumstances. No, instead, we focus our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. And so, Father, today we acknowledge that for so many of us, there is a gap in our life, like David, between the promise of God and then what we see around us, the circumstances around us. We're facing some things that don't feel like they line up. They're full of brokenness. They're full of pain. They're full of turmoil. They're, uh, they fill us with fear. They're just We don't know what to do about them. And we wonder, where's the promise of God? Where's the promise of God for healing? Where's the promise of God for restoration? Where's the promise of God for freedom? Where's the promise of God for deliverance? And so as we wait, though, we wait with hope. We wait with hope that you are able in your timing, in your way, to move mightily in our life. As we look back on our life, we can see that, Lord, you have been moving and working in all kinds of ways. Sometimes we just didn't have eyes to see it. And so, Father, today, as we, as we come to you, some of us need to bring this gap before you because we have very specific things that we're facing that we need to put in your hands to say, Lord, in your time, in your way, I wait on you. I surrender this to you because that is an act of hope, an act of hope that knows that Jesus is Lord, an act of hope that knows that Jesus is victorious, an act of hope that knows that no matter what I face, I know that I can rely on Jesus. And so we could do this because of what you've done for us. And so for anyone who's here who doesn't know the hope of waiting for Jesus, the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, we want to offer up a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? And would you lead my life? Would you lead me towards you? The simple prayer, simple act of faith that leads us and guides us to living a life of hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I especially want to thank the team who made this service possible and Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, I invite you to like it and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for week seven of our sermon series on David. Have a great week.